0: marvelous post blip podcast podcast on all things marvel in the fangirl zone i'm mischievous dave
1: and i'm sean fangirl s and today we're talking episode five of season one of moon Knight, titled asylum written by danielle amon doug munch and don perlin and i'm sorry if i screwed up anybody's name and directed by mohammed diab
0: maybe it's munch <laughs> munch is it munch i don't know, I don't know. oh i should know because he's written a lot of great stuff So let's get into the old initial reactions Initially, let's get into the initial reactions Sean, what (laughs) do
1: you think? Oh my god, by the time this one was over I was heartbroken I know And I'm thinking, wait, we only have one more episode?
0: I don't know how they're going to top this one
1: My head is spinning like It really is Because of everything that they put in Now, it was a great episode Because they gave us so much information That I never thought we were going to find out but it was like, holy crap! It was kind of a hard episode. I wasn't crying, but I was heartbroken by the end.
0: Oh yeah, did it, did it bake your noodle?
1: Uh, <laughs> you know what? There's still a lot of questions that came up, and I, I'm still uh, wondering. I think it was you had sent something to us about this is really all happening in the asylum, like the whole thing, and it's in his head. And I was like, wait, what? The what? Hippo says-
0: Hippo says he's dead, though.
1: It's like, yeah, that's really got me, like, spinning, going, well, I don't know what to think anymore. Although they're trying to pull more threads, you know, talking about that that plane of existence. So this should be interesting, what they do with the next one.
0: Who's to say his uh, his ability to cope uh, is in, in the asylum, or his ability to cope... Includes being dead, but he's not dead because the hippo is part of the whole, you know, <laughs> organizing himself and organizing principle to keep himself going. We, we saw him shot, so shouldn't he be dead? The hippo says he's dead, but is the hippo part of his imagination? Oh, my gosh. We're going to go down a what-if rabbit hole,
1: and but what if this and this? It's like, hmm.
0: It's hard to reconcile, Really?
1: It is. That's why I'm wondering, what the heck's going to happen? And is the next episode, like, 12 hours long? Because I don't know how they're going to put everything together. Uh,
0: I know. Well, I people down at our local comic book shop at Wonderland Comics are saying, you know, oh, it's going to be two hours. I'm like, really? Two hours? <laughs> They've all been an hour, and they managed to tell their story. I, I can't see two hours. An hour and 15 minutes, like some shows do. You know, just to fit on that extra little <laughs> bomb.
1: Yeah. I don't well,
0: know. I, I, I loved it I mean I was all over the planet afterwards <laughs> simply in in orbit I calmed down it did bake my noodle I calmed down after watching it a second time but I'm still giving it uh, even though we don't do ratings here <laughs> five out of five wiggly eared hippos I, was, I love the wiggly ears oh my god it's, <laughs> it's so funny it's so funny they had some jokes in there where you didn't think they could introduce some humor because there was such pathos too seeing Steven You know, get his hero moment and then go overboard. I don't jumping ahead there, but oh I'm like, No.
1: It it really threw me, like, how much was happening and if you're paying attention, how many uh little nods to everything else is in there and how many rabbit holes to go down because of it.
0: I know, we could we could do a a two hour show.
1: On Easter Just eggs,
0: <laughs> examine everything else. I I am a little heartened. Uh, I actually didn't pick it up until the sec my second watch when they were trying to send word or they were deciding on sending word to Layla to free Conchu. I'm like, oh good, because I'm I'm hoping Layla does get to free Conchu, and, uh, and as my tinfoil theory goes, um, she'll free Conchu, and Conchu will save Mark. Or at least bring him back to life I, I'm leaning more that he is dead Okay Actually And that uh, Khonshu will once again bring him back to life But the price for helping um, Layla And getting Mark back to life Is for her to be his avatar He won't do it without that And that's that's what he wanted anyway And if you're wondering how um, Layla gets into the tomb and saves and everything She'll do it with Yatzil's help Which one's that one? Um, she was the avatar for. Uh,
1: oh um, right, right, right! right. You know the H. one that would sing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember
1: the name. Sorry. All right. This should be interesting. And then there could be more than one Moon Knight, anyway.
0: It, it'd be. Uh, I don't know if they don't they haven't signed um, Oscar Isaac to another one. At least not that we know of at this point. So if they actually throw us a, a monkey wrench and make uh, May make Callum. Tell him away as the next Moon Knight, even if it's only for half a season. You know, we just saw on uh, on Star Wars how A uh, Mandalorian was actually brought back for the last three episodes of uh, Jabba the not Jabba the Hutt, Boba Fett. So it can be done. Yeah, you know, maybe.
1: that's true. Okay, now I'm like, hmm. But isn't that part of the whole Moon Knight? like mythos that there's several Moon Knights
0: that are out there no just several uh, several personalities behind Moon Knight just only one Moon Knight
1: oh see I thought Moon Knight was what uh, Kanchu calls like all of his people well yeah
0: in the comics there's only one Moon Knight I never Uh heard of uh, Ethan Hawke's character Arthur Harrell being a Moon Knight in fact he was only in the comics a tiny bit and all of a sudden he's got this huge role But I don't think I ever heard anything about him being a Moon Knight. Hmm. It fits in with the mythos of this show that you can have um, multiple um, avatars. But that's the direction the show has taken, not necessarily the the uh, comics.
1: Yeah, this show is just going to knock us for a loop all the way to the end. I know that.
0: It's always been Mark Spector. Oh, okay. But that's only the comics, though. These, These guys are definitely widening the path here.
1: Well, let's jump into our episode yep. with our huge recap. Mark and Steven <laughs> search through their memories to find the truth or become left behind. Mm. Yeah, and that's when things start going bad.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark Spector cycles through a series of fragmented memories, including a flooding cave with distant cries of help, a woman screaming with vitriol in his first encounter with the goddess Tawaret or Tawaret. I don't know if I like the pronunciation of the first or second. I like, I think I like Tawaret.
1: before I boy, had Tawaret. no idea how you did how you actually say it. So
0: a lot of people say Tawaret, but I could, kind of like Tawaret. that sounds very Egyptian. Before waking up in Dr. Harrow's office at the uh, Putnam medical facility as he finishes the sentence, finally, (laughs) Harrow attempts to calm down a heavily bruised Mark, telling him he did not shoot him. And I I have to say, at this point, I don't think that was Mark at all. I think that was Jake Lockley. Jake Lockley always had a wounded nose or a bandaged nose. That's what he was known for, because he gets into fights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a violent guy.
1: I feel like you can tell it's the different personality because of the way he, not just like hearing the way he talks but he'll talk and his like lips and teeth stay really close together Uh, it's almost like he's uh, talking through clenched
0: teeth yep okay well Harrow attempts to calm down a heavily bruised Mark telling him he didn't shoot him including the Jake Lockley face massage (laughs) Addressing his patient, Harold tells him that Mark's mind is violently vacillating between sense and nonsense, as his brain tries to cope with the very difficult reality. He reminds Mark that he, the patient here at Putnam, with fantastical delusions of being a superhero while refusing everything possible to look within himself. Retracing Mark's account, Harold reminds him that he, the moments earlier, he relayed that he was in a hospital just like this, except it was in Egypt, where he was in the company of a talking rhinoceros. <laughs> Wrong. Harrow was a hippopotamus. <laughs> That's what's funny. He even corrects him in his delusions. Mark concedes that on the pendulum that the notion swings to the end of the nonsense. Encouraged, Harrow states that a struggling mind will often build places to seek shelter for different aspects of the self from our t- most traumatic memories. Treading lightly, Harrow asked to revisit the early conversation involving a little boy. Thanks to his doctor, Mark proclaims he is so much better as he grabs a glass pyramid off Harold's desk. Threatened Harold triggers a security alarm as Billy and Bobby arrive. Harold doesn't want them to lose all the progress they made today, reminding him that he's not the enemy of the staff. And right then, he has the staff today's Mark from his outburst, which I still think it's Jake. Because he wanted to kill him. That's like Jake's reaction to everything. I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm like. Why is he picking up that pyramid? It's like, yeah, it's great. Everything's great. It's fine, nice, nice and sharp. Yeah, it's like, hmm. which is one reason that I do not believe that this is a real facility, because I'm like, yeah. why is there so many breakable things that if somebody went out of control, they can hurt themselves or the people around them? And it's well, like
0: so many. He doesn't expa- explain all his objects. Dot is the all uh, the, you know, the Egyptology. In his in his office, why would he have that? Right. That you know, I have to agree. That's a delusion. We've seen that set before earlier, except it was broken down museum pieces before mm-hmm. crashing through a window. So, and then, oh, gosh, I, I, I still want to know if there's something to do with the water that uh, Mark fell into. Some puts you in some type of netherworld or something. Does there does that have a healing quality to it?
1: I mean, it is really odd that there's just random water in this. you I know. know. T- so it's got to be something, right? They're not just going to leave us hanging. Or well, are they? I don't
0: think- oh, God. <laughs> well, they do. <laughs> I hope it has something to do with Layla being the next Moon night, even if it's just for two or three episodes.
1: Maybe it's a portal. Who knows? But yeah. the fact that they're like, Putnam, you're in Putnam in Chicago. And I'm like, what does Chicago have to do with it? Because I didn't think he was from that area. Mark is. Is he? Okay. Yeah. I thought Mark was supposed to be from New York, like upstate New York.
0: Well, um um Jake is, is the New York cabbie.
1: Right. And then we have Steven who's from the UK. <laughs> yeah, and then apparently. I'm like, I don't know where. I mean we're not you mm-hmm. know, picking someplace specific. And then Mark's just he's supposed to be from Chicago.
0: Yeah. Yep, that's where he grew up. That's the cityscape with his uh, Jewish family there That's Chicago. Pretty sure.
1: (laughs) I don't know where in Chicago that is, but okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I hear you. Because I don't know where any random little caves like that are either. Just saying, I'm in the area. But let's keep going. Back in the Egyptian mental hospital. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, just saying it that way sounds weird. Tarwit informs both Mark and Stephen that they are indeed quite dead. Wow, thanks for laying that on me. Mm. But remarking that it's been some time since any souls arrived here, Tarwit tells them that they're in the realm of the dust.
0: I'm sorry, the realm of the Duat. I don't know why I said dust. It was all dusty. I wonder why they haven't had any souls there. People die, right? They're just not entering the Duat or Egyptian?
1: That's what I'm thinking, because maybe you know nobody is worshiping them, and the fact that he died, they died. However, you want to look at it, in the tomb. That's that, good. That's why she's up.
0: <laughs> mm, okay.
1: Uh, Stephen interjects, delighted and in awe. Okay, Stephen, you need to calm down. That's what I'm going to say right <laughs> now. A yeah, Little true. too excited to be like, oh my god, we're in the we're in the dead place, and they're gonna. Oh my god, look it. It's, ca- you calm down. For an autograph, <laughs> <laughs> right? they the pre- it in the hydro-
0: hieroglyphics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be hilarious. Here, let yeah. me sign this. I'll sign it on your heart. Uh, they're in the presence of the goddess of women and children, who is guiding them on their journey in the afterlife through the Egyptian underworld. And the fact that he said that she's the goddess of women and children kind of had me questioning things, also, because why is she there?
0: Well. I'm, Egyptian mythology, you can be that, and then another pharaoh will come along, or another age, and they'll change you to something else. And they just, they just add on to the mythology until you can, that file cabinet is stuffed with all their abilities. I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay. Because
1: I was thinking it was said for a reason.
0: Well, it could be. Yeah, but still.
1: I mean, because of what a- we see, that's why I'm like, hmm. Is that why she was there? the goddess of children kind of thing.
0: Why? What rabbit hole is that? Because Um, we see children later in the hospital? Yeah. In the uh, episode?
1: Yeah, and we see what started a lot of this. Okay. So that's what I'm thinking. But, you know, like I said, rabbit holes abound. So let's talk about Mark being just... Mark, I I don't know how else to say it. He is filled with nothing but disdain and refuses to believe that this is the afterlife. Of course. He can create multiple
0: personalities, but he can't believe (laughs) in the afterlife.
1: Right. You are like Avatar for an Egyptian god, but no, this is a step too far? Um, Come on. But Tarwat corrected him and then is like, hey, no, no, no. This is just an afterlife not the afterlife and i don't know for why this was happening but i was getting a weird miss minutes feel too by the way it's like oh, yeah. no 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 <laughs> but there's many intersectional planes of the untethered consciousness that exists throughout the world you know like the ancestral plane which i like i said pulled that thread to put it with black panther it's like okay where he got to see his family interesting the true nature so, of the do oh
0: but I, I was just gonna say uh, can you imagine if you get to pick your own ancestral plane or afterlife to go to like wait a minute what is my favorite afterlife <laughs> you know uh that kind of freaks me out that there's more than one let's say heaven Hmm at the end of, uh, you know, the book in the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. There was three more books after that, uh, and it ended with 3001. It, the last uh, paragraph, and I'm going to spoil it. Okay, spoilers for 3001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Some of the uh, beings that left all those uh, black, not, they're not obelisks, <laughs> monoliths, yeah, monoliths behind, are talking amongst themselves and... They're observing what just happened, and, and uh, Europa becoming a planet, and Jupiter becoming a sun, and bringing whole new life. And what they discuss is, well, give them time. Their god is young, and they need to learn. I'm like, their god is young? Are you kidding me? You, got there are other gods too. Even <laughs> that just blew me away. <laughs> blew me away. Their god is young. <laughs> like, I mean, God, what is he a teenager? <laughs> Huh?
1: Like Baby Yoda, you know, compared yeah. to the others. You never know. Age is slow. Uh, we do get to find out a little bit about the Duat, which I thought was interesting, because it's impossible for the human mind to comprehend. So they may perceive the realm as something easily recognizable, hence a psychiatric facility. Mm-hmm. I don't want my afterlife to look like a psychiatric facility. Don't know about you.
0: I'd rather be on the sand boat.
1: Right. Mark, of course, is like, no, that's because we're insane. (laughs) That's why we're here in a facility. And that kind of deflates Steven's sales a bit. But he's frustrated and his reality now involves a talking hippo and a talking dead bird and Mm. Steven outside his body and now the afterlife. So obviously, Dr. Harrow is right. When he said that, I was like, no, 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 no. Harrow is not right. Haro is the madman here.
0: It's still it depends which way you want to go. Are they dead or are, are they actually insane and in a hospital?
1: Oh. He was
0: told he they were told Mark was told he was dead, but he still believes he's just insane and hallucinating this. So what do you believe?
1: Uh I think that they're dead. <laughs> okay. But, Mark- believes he's at Putnam, so Mark's like, you know what, and right over through these doors we're just gonna find the common room, and blah 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 and he walks (laughs) through, and nope, he is on the deck of Tarot's massive boat, and they're navigating through the underworld desert. It's like, oh, okay, you are literally sailing a ship through sand. (laughs) This is weird. (laughs) And then she's talking all sweet, and just plucks their hearts right out of their chest. It's like... Oh my gosh, okay, this is getting freaky. And she places them on the Scales of Justice, where they're going to be weighed against the Feather of Truth. In Weighing the Heart, the ancient Egyptians believed that the heart represented who they really were in life. So I'm assuming this is supposed to be similar to what Haro was doing, only, I guess, more for us to see. And if by the end of their journey the scales are balanced, their souls will be welcomed into Aruru. Or the field of reeds, which doesn't sound very awesome to me, but hey. I
0: know. The wheat field. Get the we're,
1: <laughs> Right? We're like, you know, in a whole different world than what it was when the Egyptian gods rule, So that makes more sense then. Um, they'll be able to spend their eternity in paradise, which again, not so much for me, but sure, why not?
0: Where is everybody?
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're chilling in their own paradise, in their own their wheat own field. field. of reeds,
0: all <laughs> alone. <laughs>
1: That doesn't sound fun either. No. (laughs) However, if the scales are not balanced, and this was very dramatic, you'll be thrown overboard where the dead will drag you down into the duat, where you'll remain forever frozen in the sand. Yikes. Yeah. So speaking privately to Stephen, Mark refuses to go to the duat or to the field of reeds. He proposes they kill the hippo and steal our boat.
0: Wait, (laughs) what? (laughs) Let's kill the hippo.
1: (laughs) However, their conversation is interrupted by Tarawat as she notices the scales are swaying wildly side to side. Holding their hearts in her palm, she notices that neither heart is full and each one feels incomplete. Now, I personally was thinking at this point is when we're going to get the third personality. Because it's like, oh, it's not full, but there's someone else. So that's what I thought they had to go look for Yeah, me too. She regretfully states that without balanced scales, the duet will eventually claim their souls. Whether you're supposed to be balanced or not. So, you gotta figure this out, guys. I'm rooting for you, she tells Mark and Steven, (laughs) as the boat that contains all their life's memories is simply through the door for the hallways. And all the doors in the hallways, and hey guys, get on it. It's like, I felt like we were gonna have a Scooby-Doo moment. (laughs) we going are like going in and out a bunch of doors. Mm. But, you know, she doesn't know what they're hiding, but recommends head, head on in there and figure it out. Reveal the truth to one another so you can balance your scales before we arrive at the Field of Reeds. Otherwise, er, souls are destroyed. So, tick-tock.
0: Oh, no. It was funny, though, uh, when she pulled out the hearts. A little bit of humor. <laughs> she goes, I did it! <laughs> and you guys <laughs> are still here? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm thinking... Wait, what? <laughs> I guess he hasn't done it in a while.
1: You're gonna like make them explode or something? That would have been really bad.
0: Anyway, back on the boat, Mark still thinks he his plan to commandeer Towerhead's boat is better than overcoming their past blockages. <laughs> <laughs> blockages. Ignoring Mark, Stephen approaches one door, which shows the moment he allowed Mark as Moon Knight to take over the body to handle the jackal harrow. Uh, the jackal harrow released in the museum, as seen in episode one, the Goldfish Problem. Moving to another doorway, Stephen recalls the recent evening where he as Mr. Knight and Khonshu cycled across a thousand Egyptian nights to find a specific location of stars in the sky as seen in Episode 3, The Friendly Type. Peering through another doorway, Stephen comes across one of Mark's memories. However, Mark refuses to revisit every single memory he's ever had. Suddenly, Mark and Stephen hear a distant cry for help from a child's voice. Stephen takes off running down the hall as Mark follows him. They enter a cafeteria filled with dead bodies as Stephen spies the scale, uh, their scales violently sway back and forth. As Mark navigates the room, he recalls where he encountered each person in life. Stephen is aghast that Mark had killed every single person <laughs> present and remembers that Mark explains that each of the bodies there belonged to a criminal, murderers, predators, the worst of the worst. The country wanted all these individuals punished, but that doesn't mean that it didn't weigh on him taking a person's life. Makes sense. (laughs) That admission, Stephen notices the skills are slowing down, acknowledging the hidden parts of their past is working. Suddenly, in the corner of the room, Stephen spots the little boy and is upset there would be a child in the room full of people Mark killed. Mortified, um, Mark begs Stephen not to go near him. Ignoring Mark, Stephen runs after the the scared kid through another doorway. Stephen locks in the door, preventing Mark from following them. You know, there's a lot of people thinking out there that uh, Bushman is there. Bushman might be the third violent category. I don't think so, or personality. Uh, if it, if Bushman was a part of that personality, wouldn't his dead be in, in the, cap, the, the cap of the dead, too? I mean, it would be a real shocker if uh, uh, Layla's father was in there. And since he's not in there, I guess... Then
1: he didn't would, feel that Bushman he did didn't. it. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: At least that's my thinking, anyway.
1: Although he did mention New York twice, which is why people were saying um, that they thought the third personality came from somebody he did kill, that he, like, Well, you,
0: if you based notice in the background, uh, there's always a cab going by in the background. Oh,
1: I didn't catch that.
0: Yeah. Well, this has got to be Jake. There's another taxi.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, and this is where things start going pear-shaped pretty fast. <laughs> Taking in the new memory, Stephen suddenly spots his mom, Wendy, barbecuing outside as his father, Elias, builds a child-sized play home. The young child Stephen followed is Randall, who their mom adoringly refers to as Roro. (laughs) Young Mark appears and makes fun of Randall's drawing of a goldfish with only one fin. I thought it was Nemo. Mm. But Wendy chides the young Mark for teasing his younger brother. Stephen's bewildered because he doesn't have a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Young Mark asks Randall to explore the cave with him before dinner, and Wendy and Elias allows their sons to go play, but remind them to, you know, watch for each other, and Mark, watch over your younger brother. Young Mark and Randall walk through the woods, reenacting a scene from Tomb Buster, with Mark portraying Dr. Stephen Grant, hmm, and Randall as Grant's ward. Stephen's trailing behind them, completely perplexed by the mention of Dr. Grant. Maybe because he didn't make himself as a doctor? I don't know. As they approach the entrance of the cave, the weather changes and it starts to pour. Worried, Randall reminds Mark that, Mom said we're not supposed to go in there when it's raining, but Mark dismisses it and says, "Ah, We'll be fine. And, you know, right when that happened, it's like, oh, no. I don't know about you, but I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. You start knocking on every piece of wood. Right. Stephen follows the two young brothers into the cave, growing concerned as the heavy downpour begins to flood the interior of the cave. He calls after the lads, hoping to draw them out before anything bad happens. It's a memory, Stephen. It's not going to help distressed with the water levels. <laughs> I was distressed with how close everything was. I'm like, I can't breathe in here. I'm yeah. not even the one in there. Uh, Stephen can hear the distant cries of Mark and Randall as they get caught in the flash flood in the cave. Meanwhile, Mark paces the hallway, trying to find another entrance to the memory Stephen stumbled upon.
0: You know, it's and funny it you can... mentioned the cave, and it's just a memory, And he's, but he's part of the memory, and he's yelling, and I go how can they hear him if it's a memory, or how can they hear him if he's just a figment of somebody else's imagination, too? Yet he's experiencing everything that the the two kids are experiencing, too, the high water, etc. Mm-hmm. Well.
1: Because he was there, even if he wasn't in the forefront? Yeah, he was marked, he was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, where were we? Steve, no. Was it no. Stephen or Mark? I'm like, which one Mark finds the mother?
0: always trying to find another instance in of the memory Stephen stumbled upon.
1: Okay, and he's startled when he sees his mother staring coldly at him through one of the doorways. That was like, oh, okay, this is going to go bad really fast. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Overwhelmed by Stephen's voice and the cries of his younger brother, Randall, Mark closes his eyes, reminding himself that it's just a memory. A different doorway opens for Mark, allowing him to reenter his childhood home as his family holds a Shiva for his brother, Randall. As he approaches his parents, he sees Stephen across the room, soaking wet, (laughs) and despondent. It's like, well, I guess that's going to just linger for a while. Mark and Stephen witness Wendy telling Elias that she just wants her Roro back. However, she snaps when she spies young Mark coming down the stairs, berating him for not keeping his younger brother safe. Mark pleads with Stephen for them to leave this memory, as Stephen's horrified to see his mother blaming the death of Randall on young Mark. I'm like, I think I was pretty much in the same boat as Mark. I'm like, you should leave now. Just go. Don't Mm. follow this, because this is bad. Just go. Stephen has to know. Upset, the young Mark rushes back upstairs as Stephen chases after him. And I don't know about you, but again, I'm like, don't do it. No, it's like I'm watching a horror movie. On the next floor, Stephen witnesses another memory of Elias begging his wife to come out and celebrate their young son, Mark's birthday. Making the excuse for Wendy, Elias tells young Mark that his mom isn't feeling so well, so they'll just celebrate this year with just the two of them. I was really starting to, like, feel the, the pangs in my chest. I'm like, oh, this is hard. Because we see Mark solemnly blow out his eight birthday candles. Following the young Mark up the stairs again on the next level, Steva witnesses another birthday, and Elias enthusiastically make Mark makes Mark's favorite cake for his 12th birthday, even if it didn't look super pretty. However, the drunk Wendy saunters over to the dining room table and berates Mark, believing that he was always jealous of his younger brother ever since he was born and that she should have known that you would he would do something like that I was like oh
0: ouch. damn ouch yeah
1: yeah this like really I'm like and they're twisting the knife in her heart thank you mm-hmm. young Mark upset leaves the dining room and runs up to the bedroom Steven doesn't understand why his mom would behave this way now I could get that she's upset and it's like so many years later though it's like okay she's still blaming him <laughs> this, this is really bad And it's obviously something more than just grief Yeah. But when... It broke broke her. Yeah. But when all of this is happening, you kind of at the same time feel like, why wasn't Dad stepping in? Because it couldn't all be like when he was away. That's what I was thinking. But obviously, there's other things I'm sure that were happening.
0: I think Mark somewhere blames his father for being too weak about it.
1: Probably. I, I think that's why a lot of this probably came up, And maybe that's why Jake ended up getting manifested. I was like trying to find the right word. Um, Right when Stephen's about to enter young Mark's bedroom, Mark pulls them both back out on the street and it's like, no, 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 you don't want to go in there. Stephen's pretty upset that Mark would remember their mother this way because that's nothing like her. Oh God, please Stephen, no. Don't, you know, don't dig in this anymore. He demands they go back in and find out what's happening in that bedroom, but they're interrupted as another memory pours out onto the neighborhood street. Young Mark storming off with a duffel bag as Elias pleads with his son to come back inside. He can't lose another son. Elias promises that Wendy will get the help that she needs and we can fix this. And that's when a heartbroken Mark snaps that he was supposed to fix this and doesn't understand why his father hasn't yet. Yeah. And again, ouch.
0: And that's when the taxi cruises by in the background too.
1: Okay. Now I'm going to have to watch it again to see all the taxis again, again.
0: And, uh, as Mark tackles Stephen from re-entering their childhood home, their childhood home, <laughs> the they, scuffle lands them in another memory in the Egyptian desert. Stephen takes in the aftermath of a massacre at a dig site recalling... Uh, oh, I, I meant to mention to you, uh, Sean, that yes. uh, we should mention in the comics, it's the father that dies and not the mother. Oh. Yeah. It's actually his father got mixed up with the wrong people, too, and a lot of Mark's trauma comes from his father's death. <laughs> but that was the comics, not the TV shows, so they flipped that, too. Well, anyway, Stephen takes in the aftermath of a dig site, and recalling Ohio telling that Mark was a mercenary, killing hostages, Mark is stung that Stephen would believe such a thing. Mark reveals that going AWOL, you're in a fugue state, gets you discharged from the military. I bet it does. <laughs> the a few options for work. He went on a work-for-hire with his former commanding officer, Bushman. The job was to raid an Egyptian tomb, but Bushman changed the plan and called for no witnesses, just as Stephen discovers the body of Layla's father, actor Abdullah al-Fawli. Una- unable to live with his partner's plan, Mark remorsefully recollects that he tried to get all the hostages away, but they didn't make it, himself included. Mark and Stephen spot a mortally wounded younger Mark in the distance, crawling into country's temple. Just as he was about to put himself out of his misery Kanchu's Conchu, disembodied voice offers the younger Mark a proposition. Kanchu reveals he can feel the pain fractured mind within him. Instead of wasting his life the stone statue reveals him to be the god Kanchu in need of a warrior and he asks Mark will be in his hands, his eyes and his vengeance. As if the younger Mark chooses life instead of death he will be bound to Kanchu, swearing to protect travelers of the night and bringing his vengeance to evildoers who would do him harm. I still want to know how Harold – I wonder if he's just plain lying about that. But he he does seem to anticipate what you always says. I don't know. Unless, unless he's an avatar for somebody else or he's he's just a uh, Bushman. I don't know. Now I'm going to go down a rabbit hole, so forget it, Mark. looked back on the memory with a combination of disdain and gratitude for another shot at life. Stephen – Views the scenario differently. The sneaky old vulture has been manipulating and taking advantage of Mark since the very beginning. Stephen spots the scales again, seeing it slow down further, as Mark believes Khonshu's offer stopped him from being what he's always been a killer. With his final moments nearing, the younger Mark agrees to an exchange and promises his servitude to Khonshu. Soon he's imbued with Khonshu's uh, light and protected by the healing ceremonial Moon Knight armor. Mark and Stephen are pulled from the memory once more from a disturbance caused by baboons. Creatures from the ancient Egyptians viewed as the dead who oversaw the wow. duat. Returning onto the deck of the boat, howl Oh, I hear a baboon now. Tarwood tells Mark and Stephen that fear is spreading in the underworld because unbalanced souls in the hands of the living are being judged and condemned to the, stands, the sands before their time. An evil act of how I was doing at doing.
1: That was looking crazy. All of a sudden, I'm like, why does it look like you know a meteor shower
0: i know souls and, and even it kind of freaked out tower too. what the hell right <laughs> Stephen begs tower went to help them go back in if she could return them they'd just be returning to a body with a bullet in it without the ability to heal damn <laughs> Stephen begs tower went to get a message to layla the free country which helps my theory a lot i hope she does oh she yeah
1: would,
0: yeah pre-Konshu. makes a deal with Layla and then Mark comes back.
1: Well we keep seeing that scarab everywhere. It's like what is that? What's going to happen with well,
0: that? I don't know. Well in your Egypt you're going to see a scarab everywhere including every <laughs> souvenir shop. True. Oh, I'm kidding. Do you understand why he would want to be with Konshu again? when Mark looks like he was really wanted to get away from him. Conceding, Mark admits that he did, but this was their only option now. Throwing caution to the wind and noting that Osiris will not be pleased, Tarahut turns her boat around, noting that Osiris' gate is the only path back. I want to see Osiris, by the way.
1: I'm hoping that they're not going to, like, suddenly turn Toweret into a little, you know, stone statue now.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) As she does this, she urges Mark and Stephen to go back Inside the boat, they don't have much time to get their scales balanced. <laughs> yeah, return to your your undead hallucination. Oh, man. <laughs> Whichever it is, t- Stephen demands to go back into the house to Mark's childhood bedroom. Believe me, that's the key. Mark doesn't think they need to go back to the memories all over again. They can just talk. Yeah, let's talk it out. You please to Stephen to not make it go through it all again, and it's not worth it. Stephen responds with incredulity towards that statement. They're about to lose everything we don't get back and Haro succeeds, all these people will die. If Layla dies, that's on your head. It'll be your fault. Losing it, Mark shouts at Steven that he can't. He won't do it as he begins to slip into a narcissistic rage episode.
1: I was freaking out when he starts doing that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, what does this mean? But we don't really get to see that too much because all of a sudden we're back in Harrow's office and Haro tells Mark to stop self in your self interest rage as Mark gets his bearings Haro laughs off the notion telling Mark he watches way too many movies and they can't involuntarily sedate their patients Haro lathers praise onto Mark though stating that he's so proud of him for tackling the traumas of his past over the last few hours and again we're all thinking wait a minute what? It's not easy peering inward into all of those moments that make you you and I was scratching my head at this point (laughs) but with this progress Haro poses a question does Mark think he created Stephen to hide from all the awful things he's done in life or does he think Stephen created Mark to punish the world for what his mother did to him well there's something interesting (laughs)
0: He's <laughs> really playing with him now.
1: Right? And if this is all in his self-conscious, he's really screwing with himself. So that's like, wait, what? To know for certain, Haro advises Mark to open up Stephen in his childhood bedroom. I was not looking forward to this moment. Young Mark pushes all of his Tomb Buster toys off the desk and Stephen tells Mark he remembers the bedroom, but he doesn't remember this memory. And a terrified Mark, a young Mark, hides in the corner, pleading out loud, it's not my mom, it's not my mom. As Wendy pounds on the bedroom door, demanding to be let in, as young Mark's eyes roll back in his head, and young Stephen takes over the body. I was like, oh, God, no, it started that long ago?
0: I don't I'm not sure how that works. Shouldn't it, Stephen be remembering that? And, and I mean, Mark remembering that, and Stephen takes over afterwards, so he doesn't have to deal with it? If that would make Steve, more sense. If Stephen, you know, got the brunt of the beating, shouldn't he remember that? Yeah, because he was created to not
1: remember that, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you I would think it, it was the other way around. That did seem yeah. kind of strange. But our young Stephen notices that the Tomb Buster poster ha- is hanging on the wall. And when danger is near, Stephen Grant has no fear. And that's when our older version of Stephen realizes that Mark made him up. And, of course, we hear, Oh, no, Mom's going to be so mad as he starts picking up all this stuff around the room. And that's when the moment is interrupted by Wendy, like, busting the door down, basically. Grabbing a belt off the wall, Wendy threatens the young Mark and says, You're going to listen when I tell you something. And I was like, Oh, crap. Before Stephen could witness any more of the memory, Mark pulls him from the room so he doesn't have to see his mom, their mom, beating the young Mark, and Mark sharply states that Stephen wasn't meant to see that. That's the whole point of you. In reaction, Stephen punches Mark in the face. It's like, what? (laughs) Because he's upset that he was just made to be Mark's stress ball. Uh, You were supposed to see the good in everything and not see the bad. So I think there was a good reason. But all this time, Stephen thought he was the original, which of course they all do, right? Mm, Every, Every movie ever where you had somebody who has multiple personalities, they all think that they're the original, right? Frustrated with everything, Mark explains Stephen got to live a happy, simple, normal life thanks to him. And who cares if it's a lie? Why would anyone want to live the truth that he had a mother that beat him, that hated him, that made his life a living hell? And his dad didn't do much to stop anything. Mark ensured Stephen that you got to live the life with the kind of mother who loves you and is still alive. And when he said that, in my head, I had a record scratch. It's like, "Er, wait, what? (laughs) Stephen believes Mark's just trying to hurt him with the revisionist history of their mother. But elaborating further, Mark reveals that his dad called him after all these years, letting him know about his mom's Shiva. But he just couldn't bring himself to go. Stephen shuts down and demands to be let out. Suddenly, back in Dr. Harrow's office, Stephen is rattled by the latest revelation and Harrow's presence, questioning the environment, wondering if it's all a test. Harrow tells Stephen, it's good to see you again. I was worried I'd never speak to you again. And I was creeping out with that. I don't know about you. Harrow apologizes, revealing that it was him that told Mark to open up. To Stephen, and how did that conversation go exactly? Uh, Not well, obviously. Harrow reminds him that when Stephen first arrived at Putnam, that he didn't think Stephen would ever be able to acknowledge Mark, and it was Stephen who brought them there in the first place after his mother passed. What? (laughs) Stephen's like, wait, what? And he was freaking out because he's like, she's not dead. Of course, calming Stephen down, Harrow asks. Well, would you like to speak with her? I'll ring her on the phone. And Stephen is immediately like, no, no, no. She doesn't want to talk on the phone. She doesn't like that. Don't bother her. And it was getting a little bit more and more um, hurried the way he was talking. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly Haro hands him the phone. It's like, would you like to speak to your mother? And Stephen starts hesitantly approaching the phone as tears are coming down his face. And it's like he doesn't even realize he's crying. Holding the phone receiver, Stephen acknowledges that his mom is dead. And I was like, oh, damn. I just felt like that was so bad, the way they introduced that. Mm-hmm. And that's we get through. There's
0: a lot of gut punches in this episode. It, it
1: was. That's why I said this was a wow, wowzer. It's like, I may not have cried, but wow, that was like, I needed to, like, watch puppy stuff afterwards to bring myself... <laughs> <Kitten videos. laughs> like, yeah, like, let me see these cute little puppies wiggling their butts. I don't know. <laughs> but we get to revisit that first memory that appeared in the doorway, which was Elias holding a shiva for late Windy Spectre in their home when he spots his adult grieving son, Mark, out of the windows as he's standing across the street drinking from a flask. Elias motions for Mark to come inside, but he doesn't, and he starts walking away. He doesn't want to give his mother the satisfaction. Stephen witnesses the younger Mark, distraught by the matter, falling to his knees in the middle of the street. I wouldn't exactly say younger Mark, because I think it was supposed to be within the year. Mm. Stephen then sees himself take control of the body in a fugue state, which I'm guessing this goes back to when he went AWOL. Possibly, who knows. Unsure of where he is, the memory Stephen rings his mother, amused that he's once again lost, unsure of exactly how he ended up where he is. Oh, that was sad, too. Mark appears sharing that this moment was two months ago. It was their mother's death and, sh- and the Shiva that let their lives bleed into one another. Mark regretfully admits he couldn't face their dad after living with everything that he's done. Stephen reminds Mark that all the horrible things their mother said to him was wrong, and none of it was your fault. Yeah, but childhood trauma. I think we were talking about that off script. Through the pain and tears, Mark believes that it it is his fault, and he shouldn't have brought his younger brother, Randall, to the caves. Of course, gently, because Stephen is our gentle, honest one, he's reassuring, reassuring Mark that you're just a kid, and it's not your fault. The moment is once again interrupted as Tarot's boat stops in his voyage. The guys rush back onto deck and they find the gates of Osiris. But Tarat regretfully informs them that the gates aren't open because the scales never balanced. I thought she was really surprised that the gates weren't opened anyway. Yeah. So the journey has come to an end and I can't stop the inevitable. The unbalanced souls of the Duat well, now claim your souls. Yeah, that's okay. dramatic. Mm-hmm. And we have armed unfriendly souls beginning to overtake the boat. As Mark tells Stephen to hide, I'll handle it. Wh- where's he going? <laughs> that's what I want to know.
0: Where's Stephen going?
1: Yeah, where's he going to go hide? Let well, think go back in the institution.
0: <laughs> the asylum, I guess.
1: Honestly, I thought he was going to go in and open that other sarcophagus. So... It's like, okay, three against one, let's go. Yeah. Uh, with the sudden epiphany, Stephen realizes that if he's Mark, then that means this has got to go a little differently. I don't know. Because if Mark goes overboard, doesn't Stephen go overboard? Hmm. Stephen suddenly charges at the dead, dragging Mark and impresses his other half as he eliminates a threat. However,. There's another unbalanced soul nearly pulling Mark overboard. Stephen rushes to the boat's side, removing the soul's grip on Mark. And to Mark's horror, Stephen ends up going overboard with said unbalanced soul. Mm. As Stephen tries to run after the sailing boat, he succumbs to the nature of the duat and is frozen in the sand. This was so hard. With Stephen's sacrifice, Tarwat discovers that Mark and Stephen's hearts have finally balanced on the scales. Mark suddenly finds himself... In the field of reads. And that's where my questions were like, hold on a second. <sighs> How is he balanced if Stephen's the one that went over? Because... To
0: deal with any more unbalanced from Stephen.
1: Yeah, is but Stephen was the one who was like the the nice, happy, go-lucky not the guy killing people <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, but that's, that's the denial That's the he was the avatar of denial though, which is wrong he was out of balance because there was no Steven, Steven was not the truth and didn't deal with the truth at all, he was just oh. a recreation of uh, a guilty mark okay I mean the whole thing was a gut punch, you no know, one fake Steven, never real Steven was overboard, uh, I kind of hope they find a way to bring him back even though that means unbalanced, I guess but it's uh, such a great character. I mean, like, that was devastating. And Mark that, in the field of reeds, like...
1: Yeah, that was, like, what? what? I was just confused, and it's like, wait a minute, how's he there, though? Because he doesn't exactly have a light heart. Well, And then if you still got balance. that third one somewhere, it's like, uh, what?
0: Hopefully, is going to appear before him after, uh... After Layla manages to get him out and becomes... <laughs> <laughs> becomes Conchu's avatar after I don't know, wow there's so to, much, so uh, much for one episode I don't know how they're going to do it if you were rating this one, Sean what would you rate it? Is it? And you can just do a numerical one you don't have to Ugh. be silly like me would you give it a 3, 4, or 5 out of 5?
1: I, I would definitely say it's five swinging scales, but... Yeah. Um, and I, I have to say the scales, honestly, because it was so up and down. Like, that was my emotions through this whole thing, too. Yeah, really. They were swinging about as hard as those hearts were. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, you know, in the previous episode, when they're running up and down the hallway, and the, the lights are swinging back and forth, and I'm like, oh, that's the scales. It has to be.
1: I didn't even think of that. It probably was.
0: Yeah. Kind of an Easter egg. Would you want to hear more Easter eggs, young lady? Uh,
1: Let's hear all the Easter
0: eggs. Okay. So let's go back to the Putnam Medical Facility. At the beginning of the episode, we found out that Mark's breakout moment at the end of episode four was another delusion. Except it wasn't. Really? (laughs) You see. Is he? And he's actually still in Dr. Harrow's office. Oh, that's a real uh, brain pretzel that's when Harold tries to ground mark by he's saying that he's not talking to he's not talking to a giant hippo he's actually at the putnam medical facility that's more or less the same name that uh writer jeff lemire used when he retold the moon knight origin back in 2017 that was a real famous issue run but uh, he's an unreliable witness harrow you know you can't trust him you don't even know if that's real or not it i'm still wondering and that means he's he's not dead, but even though he's been shot, so he should be dead. Which is real? Which is the reality? Is his Mark's role in the afterlife, the field of reeds, or is he really in that? And he can't so be in that facility it's like because turning, he's
1: dead. It's like turning of the screw, mm. where you don't have a reliable source talking,
0: right? Hmm, interesting Speaking of the ancestral plane Back in Mark's delusion afterlife adventure That very much there hit named Tawaret Explains that our hero is very much dead There you go Is she a reliable witness? <laughs> He's making his way through the afterlife As represented in ancient Egyptian mythology And this holding place can take the form Of many different locations That's cool Of course, she'd never seen it depicted As a mental hospital before But there we are so she says the mental hospital is just a delusion. But how can it be a delusion? if, Well, I guess it's only a delusion if that's the way you enter the afterlife.
1: I mean, you take in what you have in you, right?
0: So yeah, I if guess. he's believing so this that. Is all Mark's pro- projection. Yeah. She also says that there are many different in-between places for souls and that the ancestral plane is just gorgeous. (laughs) You know, she's right because we've seen it before and the ancestral plane in the realm of the Black Panther travels to in order to communicate with their ancestors. There's also one of the very few explicit connections to other Marvel Cinematic Universe properties that we've seen so far following the GRC banner on the other side of a bus and the offhand mention of Madripoor. So yeah, some little links here and there. It's
1: taken Man, it's a while, hard. but we're getting some. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the, tangential links. This is not, you know, it's not like you see Captain America's shield spilled, <laughs> spin in front of you. But you do see it on the uh, trailer for uh, Doctor Strange.
1: <laughs> That's coming <laughs> soon. Actually, it's not
0: Captain America's shield. If you look closely, it's uh, Captain Britain. Yeah. So it's, is, there, is there a name, Captain Britain?
1: Oh, you know what? No, I don't think it's Captain Britain.
0: No. Oh, our listening, our listener's going to kill us. But that's your shield, <laughs> though, because even somebody looks at it and goes, "Well, that's cool." And it's yeah, got cause the, that's yeah. from What If? Yeah, it's got the Union Jack in the middle of the shield. Anyway, we finally get to see Mark Spector's origin story along with Stephen Grant's and Moon Knight's. Uh, Mark's childhood, as depicted on the show, is drastically changed from the comics. Yep, on the show, preteen Mark his even younger brother got trapped in the cave as it was flooding. Mark's brother died, and his mother and neighbor forgive him. She became neglectful neglectful, and later abusive towards Mark so much that he created Stephen in the image of Tomb Buster hero Stephen Grant as an escape. In the comics, Mark's younger brother did not die and neither of his parents abused him. Instead, his traumatic incident came when he discovered that his family friend was actually a Nazi deserter and a serial killer. Oh, that's right. I remember that now.
1: <laughs> that, t- that's not better.
0: Yeah, I know. When teen Mark stumbled across his uncle's murder den, he was instantly traumatized and created Steve and Grant to deal with. Which one do you prefer? That origin or, or I kind of like the TV one better, to tell you the truth.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd want to have a kid stumble across a murder den. <laughs> I mean, not not that having the younger brother, you know, die and the whole mother go nuts is a good thing either, but holy cow.
0: I know. Talk about out of balance. Right? Yeah, his brother also grew up to be an adult and uh, he had even worse mental health problems. Yeah, no, really? Randall eventually became convinced that he was Khonshu's avatar and took on the name Shadow Knight. He then went on a killing spree and had to be stopped, R.E. killed, by his brother, Moon Knight. Wow. Yeah, this is why you don't read comics just before you go to bed. <laughs> While there are very few similarities between TV's Mark and the comic Mark's childhoods, there are tons of visual references to Greg Smallwood's artwork in the form of the Moon Knight story from 2017. For example, his childhood bedroom has the same Star Wars poster and a race bed. I didn't have a race bed. I wish I did.
1: I <laughs> never Mark had works. one, but they were cool.
0: Yeah, oh, oh, I think I probably would have preferred a spaceship bed, but I didn't one of those either. <laughs> Kid Mark wears the same jacket in the comics as he does on the show. And even adult Mark's rebirth as Moon Knight at the Food of Conju statue has the same vibe. And Oscar Isaacs even dressed a, a bit like Mark from the comics with the short sleeves and a scarf. Why not? And we finally get a little bit about, about Bushman, although we have never seen him. In order to balance their scales and prevent themselves from entering into eternal torment... Mark tells Stephen everything that includes his history as a mercenary. We've known this as Mark's gig for a while now, but it's taken until this episode for him to mention the same, the name of the guy he worked for, Bushman. So this is interesting. In the comics, Bushman is the Bushman, as in a Bushman, as in a man from the wilderness of Australia or New Zealand. The way Mark pronounces it, though, is if the surname was like Goldman or Rushman or Hoffman. Yeah, that's not confusing. In the comics, Bushman's real name is Raoul Bushman, but Bushman wasn't revealed as his last name until 2006. The character debuted in Moon Knight No. 1 in 1980, so he existed for 26 years, known primarily as Bushman. Kind of like, read like Batman.
1: That, that's a really long walk for that character. I all I, I know.
0: So, uh, as far as that Tomb Buster poster is concerned, you better believe that Mark Spector, the world's number one and possibly only Toonbuster superfan <laughs> a poster from his film hanging in his bedroom. and I think that movie was kind of cheesy. Then again, when I was that age, I watched the cheesiest things and thought it was the greatest things I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, most yeah. of the names in the poster don't seem to have any immediately clear connection to Moon Knight. One does Doug Perlin. That's the name given to the fictional actor who plays Stephen Grant in the fictional film. Wait till Doug finds out he's fictional. <laughs> Moon Knight was created by Doug Onek and Doug Perlin. Another fun Easter egg is the Tomb Buster at a Timely Atlas Studios feature film. Timely and Atlas were the two named Marvel comics went by before Marvel in the early 1960s. Really? Yeah, they'll find, yeah, they'll find anything to stick in there.
1: That's interesting, though, because that is not something I would have ever like tried to find, because I wouldn't have thought anything. Oh, God, no. <laughs> so that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, there's a ton of stuff.
1: And Again, one episode. I don't know how it's coming together.
0: Oh God, I, I can hardly wait! But gosh, I, I can't. I just want to see my theory come through, come true. But that would that would have nothing to do with the comics of mean, Layla or, his, or or Mark's wife, also been changed in the series, turned into uh, Moon Knight. But I would love to see it, love it.
1: I want that other person who was on his phone to pop up and I don't know help him somehow. I can't remember okay. the name.
0: You mean like Jake or?
1: No, remember the first episode when he finds the cell phone and there's, as he's scrolling, it's all Layla. and Then there's one other name. Oh
0: right, yeah, right.
1: So maybe that'll, that I can't been remember
0: the name. Clever mention, and we'll never see it
1: because that's a character I know from the comics. I just can't remember the name. So oh, so much too happening.
0: The, too bad he wasn't in the institute. <laughs> <Or was
1: he? laughs> oh, there was a lot of people there. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. All right. This is crazy. I don't know how you all feel. You know how we feel about this. But we want to know your thoughts on each and every episode of this show and all of our other shows. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback, be it email or audio, to contact us at fangirlzone.com. And even if you send us something after the season's over, we do read it or listen to it and we will reply to you. Because there's stuff that, you know, you guys might catch that we don't. So bring it on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bring it on. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcast with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are plenty of other Marvel podcasts out there. Tell your friends and I hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcast. I was going to say, there may be plenty of them out there, but I only listen to ours.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's only one called the Marvelous Post Blip
0: Podcast. Yeah. (laughs) So don't forget to check out
1: www.fangirlzone.com. You can find our contacts page with the other ways to get a hold of us. Send us everything. Check out everything we got out there. There's so many awesome podcasts. There's something probably for all of your tastes. And for this episode of the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, I am Sean Fangirl S. And... I don't know how my scales would actually end
0: up. (laughs) And this is uh, Mischievous Dave, and my uh, closing is inspired to something that happened to me this week. Not necessarily to me, but I'll just go say it this way. This is Mischievous Dave. My fly may be down, but I am so up about this show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There is nothing wrong with your internet. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the
0: Fangirl Zone.